Welcome back, students. Your parents told me to tell you they're happy that you're back and their grocery bill is going down. And they want you to hurry up and graduate and get a job. Okay, just kidding. Anyway, welcome, guys. I want to see you guys back, really. How's everyone doing today? Isn't it amazing that we went from uh, 20 degrees last week to 75 today? Come on, isn't it, is this Texas or what? Now, if you don't like the weather, wait 24 hours. It will change. Okay, so don't get upset. We're going to start a new series this week, this next three weeks called Resolve. Everyone say Resolve. Resolve. Now, this is what you always tell your children. Make up your mind. Come on, everybody say it. Make up your mind. All righty. Now, adults, you got to resolve and we want you to make up your mind on some things. We know it's a new year. Resolutions, right? How's everyone doing with that? I talked about that last week. How many have been going for about two weeks now? Nobody. Nobody? Oh, no, you're not. You're just saying that to help me out up here. That's all you're doing. Anyway, but what we're going to do the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the, the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about resolve. Here's a statement I wrote when I was preparing for this message, and it's, it's one of those impact statements. Where I am today is a direct result of the decisions I made yesterday. How many believe that? Where I am today is a direct result of the decisions I made yesterday. Stephen Covey said this, I'm a product of my decisions. I said that statement because a lot of people, when I saw this, when I, read, when I wrote it down, I read some other statements just like it, there was a lot of kickback. Because a lot of folks, not a lot of folks, some folks were actually saying that is not true because the reason I'm this way is because of mama did this. Or my environment did this. Or that church changed me, so that's the way I am because of that. And it reminds you of the garden when God asked Adam, what did you do? Well, I wouldn't have been in trouble if you didn't give me that woman. So they call it the blame game that goes on in society today. It's everyone else's fault but a lot of us don't take responsibility for it. And I'm, I'm guilty of that sometimes. When I used to do action investigation, I'd get all the stories and what's going on, what happened. And then you have to narrow it down to when you made, someone made a decision that caused something. A lot of things happen. You see your kids when they break something? Say, well, you don't understand. It fell over and so-and-so pushed me. When did you make the decision to run in the house? And decisions are very powerful because it can set you on the right course or it can set you on the wrong course. So what we're going to do is unpack the book of Daniel, um, and I'm going to go in chapter 1. If you know about the book of Daniel, chapter 1 is the overview of Daniel's life. And I'm going to start in verse 8 where he says, I'm resolving something. And then I'll give you a historical background on what's going on there. And then we'll go ahead and go into it and unpack it. So Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 8, it's a long passage. Um, all the way to verse 21. It's on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Again, I, I have mine on my, um, I have an ESV version, so any version would be great. Here we go. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave, you want to circle that, Daniel favor and compassion in the side of the chief of the eunuchs, 
And the chiefs of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were in their own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And next week we'll talk about their name change. Test your servants for 10 days. You want to circle that. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And if you know anything about the, uh, the Daniel fast, that's where you see it first mentioned in Daniel. Vegetables and water. How many guys like just vegetables and water? Thank you, guys. You are guys. Meat and bread, right? Come on, somebody. Word. There you go. See, I can get guys going. <laughs> okay, get back, Rich. This is a holy moment. Then let our appearance be of the appearance of the youth who eat the king's food, be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in, in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine, and they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave, again, circle that, them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, which was a three-year period, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in. The chiefs of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood be, um, before the king in every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters and all who were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And Father, we just thank you for this time. Teach us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll see three teenagers, four teenagers. These guys were about 15 years old. Show you what happened, what happens with decision-making. This is a bad time right now for in the book uh, for the history of the Israelites who God had taken out of Egypt. And they start to compromise everything that God has showed them over the years. The one decision they make, if you read, is when Samuel was uh, their, their uh, prophet, they said this. We want to have a king like everybody else. At that point, God was their king, which they call a theocracy. God was their king in everything, but they wanted to be like everybody else. And from that point on, with the kings and all that took place, it started to go downhill. Because how many know humans aren't perfect? Why would you give up the perfect for the imperfect? And they went through some kings. Saul, who was insecure. Then David. Then Solomon. And Solomon was not a, he was a great uh, organizer, but not a great parent because he had two kids <laughs> who fought all the time, who represented the two kings. At one time, it was one kingdom. One, another decision, one of his sons made a decision about labor, and they didn't appreciate it. So they split the kingdoms in half, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Ten were in the northern, 
two were in the bottom, in the southern, one and a half, really. And you see, all through the books, as you get to Ezekiel, you'll see where the children of Israel start to compromise and disobey God. And God would send his prophets to say, hey, God, and that's God's grace, because a lot of people said, you know, the Old Testament is so, 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 so violent. No, there's a lot of grace there, because I've never seen anybody send someone 150 years prior to tell you to get it right before something happens to you. And they didn't. So God actually punished them. Now, remember I told you last week that God is aggressive. He runs toward us when we sin. But whenever I call judgment today is when God lets us do what we want. And what he did is let them do what they want. They forgot who was protecting them, so he took his hands off. He used a couple nations to come down. First, the northern kingdom blew up and was destroyed and taken out by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And you would think that the southern kingdom would realize the mistakes of the northern kingdom, but they didn't. So you have Babylonians who took over the Assyrians come down in 605 B.C., and this is what's going on. They besieged Jerusalem. This is their first trip. When you're talking about siege warfare, is when someone just parks outside your house and makes sure the milkman doesn't get in, the breadman doesn't get in, and they starve you out. And it fell. And what they would do, they would take the best of the brightest of that kingdom and transport them to that kingdom and teach them their ways. So you're looking at Daniel, and, and all those guys are slaves now in training to be Babylonians. And that's where you get uh, Meshach, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they changed their names. And Daniel, his name became Belteshah. In this point, they bring them over. They start, and these guys were noble, okay? Daniel was in the king's house. That's why he's getting the king's food. He came, he was royal. That's why he went to a royal palace. They gave him food for a couple, about three years. Train him in the way of Babylon. And then raise them up to be Babylonians, even though they're Jews. And if you look up in, in, in Hebrew about Babylon, it comes from the Tower of Babel. The sound of Babel means confusion. In modern-day Babylon, is actually in Iraq. Well, they have all these youth, 15 years old and less, training them. Give them their delicacies. Good meat. How many guys? Come on, meat. Meat, bread. Daniel said this. I'm not going to defile myself by changing my diet. You say, that's kind of weird because it's just food. Well, back then, the food meant you took on culture. When you ate with somebody at the king's table, that means you were making a covenant that you agree with everything he was doing. And you see, all through the nation of Israel, and someone had to stand up, a young man said, no, because let me, you can write this down. Compromise leads to disobedience will equal defeat. When we compromise... We start to disobey God, and it will lead to defeat. And that's where the Israelites were. The land was taken, and these kids were taken, and they made a stand. And Daniel said, I'm not going to defile myself. He said, I resolve. Definition of resolve is this, to come to a definite, earnest decision about or to come to a determination to do something 
or to make, one's, uh, make up one's mind. He put, like we would say, he put his foot in the sand and said, I'm not going any further than that. Because culture, and how many of you know, we kind of feel like we're living in a Babylonian culture now. And we're partaking of the food every day. Unless we make a, a conscious decision, say, I'm not going to compromise my family. I'm not going to compromise my faith. I'm not going to compromise my God. Because it's great on Sunday morning. Everyone believes like you. But go back to work Monday. But he said, you know, it's tax time. Let's go ahead and all that money, some of the money we gave you, we need to shave it off under the books because we don't want you, we don't want to declare that to the IRS. What do you do? Let me tell you the lie of culture that I'm noticing. The lie of culture is this. Everyone's doing it. You ever hear that? You ever children say, you know, I used to say this when I was a kid. Uh, we, uh, do something we're not supposed to do. And mom asked, why'd you do it? Said, Joey did it. She said, well, Joey jumped off the bridge. Would you do it? And you weren't allowed to answer. <laughs> I don't know why they said they asked you a question, but you weren't allowed to answer. <laughs> well, I would say, well, mom, everyone's doing it. Every, I used to go to bed at 7.30. Everyone's doing that. She said, you're not everyone. You're Richard. You're my son. See, we're not everyone. We're God's people. We're his kids. So we can't fall. Oh, this one, it won't hurt anybody. Can I say this? T.D. Jake says this. Decisions are like earthquakes. They leave tremors. It will hurt. Sin is not private. Compromise is not private. If you're a parent, you compromise, guess who you give it to? I used to tell my son, when, you know, in church when we got in Okinawa and we would go on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and get him up Thursday morning and take him to school, and he wouldn't get up. And we were like, get up, get up. And, and, uh, and then we noticed, he said, <laughs> said, Dad, you're not getting up. And you guys are wearing me out. And what had happened was we were putting him in that position, but he also saw me cheating. Because I would get up that last second. I knew how to clock it to get that shower, get my uniform on, and be out the door. And be mad if I catch that light on 2nd Avenue. <laughs> so I was teaching him to be last second, last minute, or not get up. And he noticed I wasn't getting up. So it, it revert, it's, what it is, it's, it leaves tremors. Here's another one um, what guys deal with. I can touch, I can look, but I don't, but I don't have to touch. I can look, but I don't touch. Here's the problem. If you look, you feel you don't touch, whatever you look at will touch your soul. Whatever you look at will touch your soul. So when Daniel said, again, taking food meant to take in the culture. And the question is, here's what I'm going to answer this question today. How do I live a godly life in an ungodly culture. How do I live a godly life in an ungodly culture? Because that's the question everyone, how do I take Sunday and transit it all the way to Saturday? And I'm going to unpack that. You'll see that Daniel made a decision, but put some pressure 
also set them apart. How many know when you make a decision, you make a stand, it sets you apart from different people? We, uh, if you didn't know, uh, Grace Point Church, we, um, we always had a vision to adopt a school. And we adopted Reagan Elementary. That's our school. And we involved what we call Kids Hope, along with the big brothers and big sisters, which we call Big Hope. And we get to go in one day a week, spend one hour in one day with a child. And we're the only church doing it. Everyone's waiting to see how it works out, I guess. And Miss Ruth has been heading that up. It's been fantastic. It's good to see you in here this morning, ma'am. And we knew going in, it wasn't about really um, making a difference in the beginning. We knew this. We're set apart, but we're going to be tested in this. Because this is what we've been getting from the teachers. They said this. You guys are actually doing the things you said you're going to do. Because our, our decision had to translate into a demonstration. And everyone's saying that. Thank you for showing, doing what you said you were going to do. Which they have seen some people say things and not carry it out. And that was interesting. And they keep saying that. And we know we're being tested to make sure we show up on time. Now, we're actually ministering to children who don't have a choice, who are, a, who are the products of their parents' decision. It's amazing. But they're like, well, wait, you know, you, you're making a difference, but the biggest thing they keep saying, thank you for doing what you said you were going to do. They tell me that every Thursday I go. Now, how many, when you carry out, you know, John Maxwell says this, it's not about how many decisions you make, it's how you manage the decisions you do make. How many know you have good days and bad days? You know, in the beginning, we're excited. And then the discipline comes in. And some days you just don't feel like getting up and going. Can I be real with you? But you're glad when you show up. Why? Because you made a decision and you need to demonstrate the decision. I was talking to a business, local businessman just a couple days ago. He said the one thing that's breaking his heart, he inherited the business from his dad. His dad, when he grew up, and it's like when I grew up, whenever a, a decision was made or a deal was made, it was called you had a handshake. And you pretty much was a covenant, this, this is done deal. It's not going to break. What's disappointing is those who shake hands break those decisions and not let you know. They don't follow through on, this, on the discipline of it. Because there's going to be some rough times with a business. It's going to be some, some good times. But how many know you should be around for the good times and the bad times? But it seems like when the going gets tough, the people get going. One of the presidents I love is you get to read his book, George Bush. He said, when I make a decision, I'm going to stick with it. Good, bad, and indifferent. The pressure for Daniel to make that decision put those young men in, in danger and put his friends in danger. And it was pressure, and they tested him on it. 
Every decision you make, guys, for God, it's going to put pressure on those who affects, those who are looking. Because no one remembers what I say. You all remember what I do. Right? And what he does better be what he says. I pray that you see me in the, out there in, in Walmart on a good day. That I'm the same here on Sunday that I am on Walmart day. Because <laughs> you will say on Facebook, Pastor Rich walked by me, he didn't even see me. Look like he was so mad on people I could. I said, oh, my gosh, I got to put the face on. And that's how important it is. Again, how do we live a godly life in an ungodly culture? The two things we got to really deal with when we make decisions. I used to call them good and God. Now I call them culture and God. Is the culture or emotional moment? Don't ever make decisions when you're emotional. And don't say God told you to do it. Because when the emotions wear off, God looks bad. Culture or what God. Pretty much you'll know it's God because no one's on that same road with you. Which is a lonely, tough road sometimes. But this is what I practice. God is the filter and the lens to each decisions are made. He's my filter. Every decision I have to make, he, I put it through his filter and through his lens and see it the way he wants us. He should see it. And sometimes it takes work. Sometimes it takes a while. But I'm okay with that because a perfect decision from him will last a lifetime. One from me will last and come to an end. And I want to be known for the one who makes the less decisions and carries out the most. And that's what it is, going through the lens. Let's look at... Um, Here's another one. Andy Stanley says this. When you go to God in, in our culture, he says this. We don't need more information. We need more submission. Because God is not the information man. It's about um, submitting to him and letting him lead you. Let's look at um, verse 12. Something interesting happened here. Because it went from Daniel himself to verse. Can you go to verse 12 for me, buddy? As for these four where the other four? Where the other four? I mean, where the other three come from? For ten days, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Second point: You want to hear from God, but you know, I call this the very first life group in the Bible. You want to go to other godly folks that you know, also hear from God and confirm that decision. Doing it on your own, this is, Christianity is not an individual sport. Never was. If that was the case, Jesus would have did it all by himself. Why would he pick the 12? And he picked one that he knew was going to betray him. What a team. He said, let us. So he said, Daniel went back, I'm not First, he made the declaration. He said, Terry or Shadrach, what do you think, man? I don't want to do this. You with me? Yes. Go get two more other guys. You with me? Yes. And here's the kicker. 
They didn't put up protest signs. They do it with humble, being humble. Guys, I do not prefer to do that. They didn't get on Facebook. They didn't get on the news. And how much do they disagree with that? Can you hear me? Because we're a different type of people. It's with grace. He said his servants that put them in the position as submitting to God. We don't need more information from God. We need more submission from God. We need to submit ourselves to God's uh, lordship. Come on, somebody. So you know when he speaks through you and through the other, you know that is a permanent, it's a, a word, and then it's up to him to bring it to pass. And sometimes people will call you boring, but that's okay. Because it's like the tortoise and the hare. The hare runs himself out, thinking he knows where he's going. And the tortoise says, I'm going over the finish line. I don't know why you're wearing yourself out. One guy says it's your obedience in one direction for a long period of time. Those two things. How to live a godly life in an ungodly society. Because have you noticed everything now that is supposed to be right is wrong? And everything wrong is supposed And you know what? Here's the greatest thing. It's our greatest hour. It doesn't take much, young man, to say, I am not going to hang out with you guys because you guys are doing drugs and you like hanging with women. They're going to say, who, the, who in the world do you think you, nothing? You just said nice and plain, you know, when people don't care, they don't get upset. When you don't care about something, do you get upset? No. When you, don't, when you really care, I'm offended. You must really care. I must, something, God inside of you is messing with you because I made a decision. And now you're saying, don't push that. I'm not pushing that. No, I just cannot do this. Everything, guys. Who are you going to marry? The job you're going to take. Raising your children. Because you know what happens if you don't hear from God and you marry the wrong one, then you're yelling at them for about the next 10 years. But you're not really mad then. You're mad yourself for doing, making a bad decision. Because emotions will mess you up. Emotions is a, is a great liar. Because you know how you, when you get older, do you feel like doing much? Well, some of us, you know. You young guys can run all day. I can't. But I can't go by emotions. I must go by truth. Regardless what the type of pressure is being applied. So he had a small group. Check with God. Had the first small group. Verse 12 says, servants. Here's the benefits of the decision. Benefits of a, of a godly decision. Decisions faithfully carried out bring favor with God and with man. Let's go to verse 9. This is an interesting verse. Can you go there? I can go there. I can read it. And God gave Daniel favor and what? In the sight of the chief of the union. It's interesting. He gave him favor and he gave him compassion. Think about that. Compassion. Now the guy who is supposed to be in charge of Daniel, is starting to feel the pressure, and then Daniel becomes a statement to the guy who has him in prison. He has compassion on him. 
Daniel has conviction and compassion. You need, when you have, everyone knows about your conviction. We read about them. But when you take conviction, you put it with compassion, it's going to take you a long way. Because you've got to have compassion on folks. Jesus had compassion on them because he knew they were helpless and harassed. So the conviction was in the middle of the compassion, and they accepted it. And when I grew up, there was nothing to help you when you were sick. My mother thought, but castor oil. Everything. I got a hangnail. Castor oil. Then I went to the Air Force. I got a hangnail. Motrin. So I had castor oil. But if you, you got to take the castor oil. If you throw it up, you know, don't want to gross you out. You're going to lunch. And my mother would do this. I needed the castor oil. But then she put some orange juice in it. Don't, build, don't blow up my bubble. I thought it was good. And I would take it, and you know you drink it. It's because it, it's so heavy. It goes to the bottom. Yeah, it's cool. But I would, it was, she was compassionate in giving me what I needed. Guys, our, our employees, employers, you know, Jesus, they need compassion. They need it. They also need the truth. But you can't give them truth without the compassion. Today's world, we're kind of getting a little, I think I told you, the older I get, the more critical I get. And I want to make sure that my conviction is mixed with compassion. Because the world's changing. Now, the message doesn't change, but my engagement has to change. Someone said, you know, when two people come to a church and they're living together, and then they, when we're going to tell them? You don't have to tell them anything because the Holy Spirit is beating them up. They get in my office all the time. Someone's looking at me. They keep looking at me strange. No one's looking at you. No one even knows your name. <laughs> Seriously. They don't know you. No one's doing that. The Holy Spirit. They know when they need to do something. You don't have to be the, the critique. They know it. If the Holy Spirit's using that, you are, they already know. Oh my gosh, I know I'm not right. I want to get right. But they need some compassion to help them get right. You don't, God doesn't beat them up. He did not destroy Adam and Eve, He came and talked to them. Decisions faithfully carried out bring promotion. Verse 17 to 21. As these four youths, God gave them what? And skill in all the literature. You can't even take credit for it. And wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all the visions and dreams. And the end of the time when the king had com- commanded what that they should be brought in, chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mashel, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and every matter, say every matter, of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Cyrus. You know about Cyrus? He was a Persian king who was going to take over the Babylonians. Daniel was there. The people were in captivity for 70 years. 
Daniel was there when the Persian Empire came, and he was elevated to every monarch because of what God gave him. Let me give you, let me just give you a um, snapshot of that. I got I think I came in this church in 96. No, I got, I got in Abilene in 96. And um, I was in another church as a youth pastor. Then I came here about 98, 99. And I remember I used to sit right about here. And I came here. I didn't want to do anything. I sat right here where you were. And there was this guy named Jeff Little. The guy can preach. He preached like a brother. Sweat all the time. You know, he'd walk up there. I said, that brother's cool. So I used to be like, yeah, go ahead. Now he liked that because he would go longer, you know. And I'm like, this is cool, man. And then I remember one day he said, they're going to call me in the office. I was like, I'm in trouble for making noise in church. <laughs> and he said, Rich, I know all about you. Went on a, vision, a victory weekend. We know about you. Kevin York knows about you. I had met Kevin York, our founding pastor years ago. So I was sitting there, and he said, we need you to build a because all the life groups were doing everything. We need you to build a helps ministry. So, okay, I'll do something with ushers and greeters. So I went from this chair to here. I'm just, keep me going, make sure I don't mess up. Okay. And I, and I was just walking through here the other day because another friend of mine, I was just talking to him on the phone. And I used to stand back here for the, like the three or four years. And I was known as the black guy with the bald head. And I would just watch and take care of the sanctuary, take care of Pastor Jeff, take care of all that, knew all what was going on over here. And I did that for a lot of years, and I was having fun at it. I said, this is great, man. And the reason why I'm telling you all this, because I made one decision. There's another friend of mine just became a senior pastor. Uh, we sat in the room in 2002 when we did our first church plan out of here. <laughs> and he said, uh, they asked me and this guy, you guys ever see yourself doing this? And we kind of said, no, all we want to do was serve God and serve people. That's all we wanted to do. That was our decision. Mark will back it up. That's all I wanted to do. And from the back here, it was great. Because I, you know, I had everything going on and make sure he was taken care of. And then gradually I started walking this direction. And it wasn't my idea. It was just keep walking until I got all it. And that was what? It's 2012, 10 years later. I'm up here. Now, 20 years ago, one of my former pastors, called, one of my, my, my father called me in the, in the faith. 23 years ago, he told me I'd be doing this. I said, yeah, right. Okay, that's cool. I just want to. Serve God, serve people. That's all I want to do. One decision. And it just, I was in the Air Force, serving God, serving people. Had to make a decision. Am I going to stay? Or God, what am I want me to do? He didn't give me those nice answers about, okay, Rich, come out. He gave me a lot of issues. So <laughs> really to prepare me to take me from being so dependent on Air Force to be more dependent on him. Because it's easy when you're in Air Force to be dependent on God because you get two checks quickly every week, regardless if you're alive or you are alive. But it brings promotion, God's promotion. And what God, who God promotes, man can't touch it. They can't touch it. And they can't explain it. Because everyone asks, how did you, I don't know. I just served God. Serve people. 
And I was walking around here the other day. I said, wow, now I got to keep this place painted. It was easy when I was back there. <laughs> and one quality decision led to my son doing stuff. He's a, you know, I'm not bragging. He's assistant worship pastor at our church in L.A. And I'm like, where'd that come from? And the guy came in and said, your son got all this, this. I'm like, you know where it came from? One quality decision. One superior decision. Which led to a lot of quality decisions. We can't do quality decisions unless we make that one superior decision. It's just Jesus Christ is not just my Savior, but he's my Lord. Let me tell you how easy it is. Jesus made it so simple. He just said, follow me. Follow me. Well, what a, follow me. Don't just receive me in a prayer. Follow me. Do you see what's going on around me? Follow me. Everyone asks, how come you stayed in Abilene for all these years? Because God told me to come here. He never told me to leave. Even when my emotions said, I'm out of here. <laughs> How many have an emotional moment? I'm done. I quit. I have that every Monday. But I think I did a good sermon or not. I quit. I don't have nothing else to tell these people. I'm going home. You know what I mean? <laughs> it happens. It's a pa- they didn't tell me all that when it was happening. They didn't tell you that part about Mondays. So don't call me with some bad news, okay? You'll kill me. Just kidding. But uh, follow me. This is what I wrote down. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So you will what? Find what? And what? In whose sight? In whose? Love and faithfulness. I tell people, how I know what God's speaking? Do what he told you to do last until he sends a detour. That's all you got to do. When we talk about resolving, resolve that issue. Go to Matthew for me, champ. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, he called Peter. And Andrew, his brother, casting them into the sea, they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you What? He didn't say you will be. He says, I'll make you. On the making is when you're following, because he's making you. Immediately, they, what? They left their nets and what? 21. And going there, he saw two other brothers, the sons of uh, Thunder, James and the son Zebedee and his John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee and his father. Mending the nets, he called them. And immediately, they left the boat, and their father followed them. The word follow means to get on his side. There's no more than that. There's, I'm telling you right now, things seem like they're getting confused in your life, but you don't look out. Sometimes you don't look out to the left to the right. We sung that song. You keep following Jesus in an unknown world right now. What we thought was good isn't. What we thought was stable isn't. But the only thing we have guaranteed is stable in our lives, guys, is Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Um, 
I, you know, I spent, you know, I, I um, spent so many years in the military, and I remember when we used to go TDY, temporary, to a temporary base, and our plane would land in this unknown place. And there was one truck that showed up when we landed. It was called, it was so brilliant, follow me. Follow me. And you can park it, follow, don't leave the path, follow me. I said that today because, guys, we're in a critical time in our lives and God is calling us to do great things, but we have to learn to follow him. Because if you follow him, there's no room for compromise. You don't have to play, you know, that's going on, that's okay. Jesus said, follow him. Stay on the path, regardless how tough it gets, ma'am. You stay on it. You stay directly on it. You stay on it. Regardless how many bullets seem like that, keep following him. Because tough times were made for tough people, and we're the toughest people on the planet. That's why it's tough. Because now God's saying, tough people, like we sing the songs, rise up. We're changing our songs. We're not going to sit there and talk about how beat up we are. We're going to talk about, yeah, life is rough. Brush myself off. I'm going to follow Jesus. And we're going to change Abilene, Texas. And we're going to change our nation. We're going to change the world. One family at a time. We're going to change Reagan Elementary. One family at a time. And we qualified? No, but I'm following Jesus who is. Think I was qualified for this job? Are you kidding me? I got qualified. But don't leave the path that he has you on. And I can tell you thousands of people who just stayed on that path and did not lose. Compromise will lead to disobedience. Will lead you to defeat. But the greatest thing about God and that Bible I told you about is all about redemption. Two brand new married fucks. You're going you're to teach us about marriage. You follow Jesus. You follow Jesus, she'll follow you. You tell me if you don't. Because then I'll put him back into play. I'm the goalie. How about you? Now here's the key. If you went off course, God, with his conviction, which you might be feeling right now, but his compassion pushes you back in. And you might have thought you lost some ground, but guess what? You never did lose ground. You just took a little stop to get back on the path. Some of you have some big decisions to make in the next few days, months, years. But start the new year off right, resolving your spirit to follow Jesus. One supreme decision leads to Great quality decisions. One guy told me this. He said, Rich, if it seems like you're going too slow, slow down some more. Because you want to make sure you always stay where God has you. Every eye closed, every head bowed.